0: I'm so happy uh, that you are all here today. Um, Jeff is up teaching kids' church right now, which is fabulous. And so I think I might be very long-winded because he's been going over the last few times that I've been up there teaching kids' church, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you can't go 20 minutes over. Being, those kids are like cr- climbing the walls. So it might be payback Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I won't go. To, I won't go 20 minutes longer. But the idea that I could just to mess with him is fabulous. So um, we have been talking over the last eight weeks. Um, We've been going through a series called Long Story Short, and essentially we spent eight weeks, Jeff, kind of doing an overview of the entire Bible. We started all the way in Genesis, and we went all the way to Revelation, and we talked about the timeline of where Scripture is. We talked about where the books of the Bible line up in accordance with that timeline, and so for me, it was just a really great overview. Did anybody, anybody, was that helpful to just kind of be able to, go, okay, now I kind of know where things go. I kind of know where things belong. Because I think uh, sometimes uh, we just, we read scripture, but without the context of it, it can be a little challenging to kind of know how it all fits together. And the truth is, I, the more I learn about scripture as a whole, the more it comes alive to me. And I have found over the last, probably Ten years, just an awakening in my heart for the love of the Word of God. Now I grew up; my parents were pastors. Um, They made me read the Bible. It was a part of my like weekly chores. Yes, thanks, mom and dad. They're actually here. Yeah, I had to do those like make your bed, brush your teeth, read your Bible. Anybody do that with their kids now? And so, so for a while, you kind of feel like this is up there with making my bed and reading and brushing my teeth is reading my Bible every day. And so I think I used to read the Bible kind of with just like, okay, I need to. I'm supposed to read a chapter. I'm supposed to get through it. You read it and you're kind of like, okay, I'm not sure what this all means, but I'm reading it and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But probably about 10 years ago, I began to study the Bible a little bit different and it became uh, a little more alive, and I started to kind of unlock some of the treasures of it, and so today I wanted to just take some time and maybe talk about what some of those things are, some of the things in my life that have kind of unlocked the scriptures to me, and this is the analogy that I want to use today. So my neighbor Brian is not here today, so Brian Apple is uh, someone who goes to this church, but he lives right across the street from me, and when I sit at my desk, Brian, I can see Brian's house, and inevitably, every couple weeks, Brian comes walking towards my house, and I get very excited and here is why. Brian is a treasure hunter. He loves, I know, you're all nodding because those of you that live in my neighborhood know this. Brian loves to find old things. So he'll go to like some run-down barn somewhere that somebody's aunt used to live in, and he will just find all the treasures. And I love treasures too, but I'm not very good at hunting for them. So inevitably, Brian comes walking down the street with something for me. And it's usually like, here is an iron from the 1800s, and here is, Jeff calls him my dealer. (laughs) Your dealer's coming. He's walking down the street, and, and uh, Jeff and Wendy, Brian's wife, is kind of like, oh, I'm so glad he found somebody that he can give all his old stuff to, and I get so excited. But here's what Brian does. He goes out and he looks for treasure, and he even has a metal detector. So on Pilot Knob, there's a new subdivision going in, so they, they went and they kind of cleared out all of, the, all of the stuff that was on top, and so then Brian went to the, the uh, people who were building the subdivision and said, hey, before you start building can I come and just look for treasure? And he was like, sure. So he went out there with his metal detector, and he found all these really cool like old medicine bottles and all kinds of stuff. And so I have them all over my house and in my office, and it's so cool. And you know what? I bet that Brian could walk along in those fields, and he probably would have found one or two things just kind of on the surface. But the truth is, the really great stuff is just a little bit underneath the surface. And with a little bit of digging and a little bit of effort, you can unlock something really amazing that you wouldn't see if you were just walking on the surface. And that's really what the scriptures are like. You can read a passage of scripture for face value, read through it, and you might get something really great on the surface. But if you take 5, 10, 15 minutes and take the time to dig just one layer under, dig a little bit deeper it will unlock some really amazing things. And this is what I saw a significant change in my life and in my love and understanding for the Word of God when I began to unlock, spend a little more time digging just a little bit deeper other than just reading through something. And so I changed my concept of reading a quantity, quantity of scripture changed it to a quality of scripture. I started reading smaller passages and spending more time just kind of digging in and finding out what those are. So I know we are always telling you, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I understand that that can be challenging because this is an ancient book made up of 66 books. It's not, it's a little challenging of a read, right? It's not like the most the easiest thing in the world to read, and so we tell you when you become a follower of Christ, hey, read your Bible. This is going to guide your life, and yet sometimes you open it, and you go, okay, what do I do with this, right? Um, I will never forget. It was the sweetest thing ever. We had a girl come to Bible study a few years ago. I was teaching a Bible study. She had no idea anything about God, anything about faith, and she came, and I don't even remember what the subject was that day, but she cried through the whole thing, and afterwards, I went to her, and I said, she goes, I don't know what this is, but whatever this is, I need this in my life. And I talked to her about faith in Jesus Christ, and we prayed together, and she asked God to come into her life, and it was so amazing. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get you a Bible, because now, now that you've asked God into your life, now you need to start reading the Bible and learning what God has to say. And she said, huh, um, I'm not much of a reader. Is there a movie? she said, is there a movie? And I thought it was so cute because, A, well, and I kind of thought, well, is there a movie? I mean, there are some movies, but I don't really know. And it occurred to me that there is a measure of study that comes to being a follower of Christ. And I understand that that doesn't come really naturally for a lot of us, you know? There's not a lot of other things that you're like, okay, now that you want to be a part of this, now you're going to have to study like words and books and look into something. I understand that there is some, there's some skill that is required in that. And so Jeff and I have had a lot of discussions about how we can help you unlock those treasures in Scripture. And so today I want to do a really, really simple kind of show you some tools. Because the truth is this. When we unearth the beauty and the truth of Scripture, we learn who God is and we learn the principles that are in his word and they steady our life. They ground our life. They guide us. Everything that we need to know, everything that we need to learn about God is found in his word, revealed by the Holy Spirit. And so this has to be a part of our lives. The more we learn about it, the more we learn about God and the more we learn about his principles. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do right. Scripture is inspired and it's useful. It should be a part of our lives. It should inform everything that we do. So today I want to show you some tools and some scriptures and some tricks and some all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to kind of put my teacher hat on here for a little bit. And I have extra technology and all kinds of stuff. So hopefully it all works. We'll see. Okay. Um, But I'm going to do this by showing you a scripture that I was studying a few months ago. So what I do is I usually find a scripture and and I was going through a challenging season and I was going through kind of a hard time in my life. And so I was praying like, God, give me something to hold on to through this season. Um, I was going through some shaky ground. And so knowing that the truth of God's word is what steadies us, I asked God, hey, God, give me some scripture that is going to help me through this season. And this is the verse that I landed on, Hebrews 6, 19. And that's what I'm going to spend our time today. I'm going to kind of show you how I dug into it a little bit. So maybe you can learn some of those tools too. So Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now, that's beautiful on the surface. That is a great, I mean, I have that on a plaque somewhere in my house already. This is a great A great scripture that tells us that this hope that we have in Christ is an anchor for our souls. It is something that's strong. But if we start to dig a little deeper, we can unlock a few other things. So let me just tell you a few other things. So first of all, Hebrews. Hebrews is a book. Now Jeff gave us a great context about Hebrews. We learned that those books in the New Testament, most of them are epistles, which are? letters, right. They were letters to churches. And so I wanted to learn a little more about the context of Hebrews. And so if you turn in your Bible, and I I put online to bring your Bible. So if you have your Bible with you today, you can turn to Hebrews. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, I need more hands, actually, is what I need. If you look at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the first thing you're going to see in my Bible, in my study Bible, is a little bit of context about who this book was written to, when it was written to, and this was the first thing that unlocked something to me. Now I, I had, this is the great thing about studying the Bible; it becomes cumulative because I had read this a long time ago, and so I knew Hebrews was actually written to the churches in Rome during a time that they were in facing incredible hardship. They were being persecuted. They were facing all kinds of struggles. And so I know in the back of my head, because I've been studying the scripture for a while, when I'm going through hard stuff, I turn to Hebrews because this was a letter being written to somebody going through hard stuff. And the more you learn about scripture, you'll start to learn that. If you're looking for wisdom, the book of Proverbs is written trying to give wisdom to a son. So if you're like, I'm not sure what's the right thing. I need some wisdom in this situation. I think I'm going to look in Proverbs. If you're thinking, oh, man, I need some encouragement. I'm feeling downcast and weary, and I need encouragement for my soul. I'm going to read a Psalms, because those were the songs that were written to encourage people. And so the more that you learn about what those different books are, you can start to know where to navigate. So I went to Hebrews because I was having a hard time, and Hebrews was written to people who were having a hard time. And so I read it in my Bible first, Hebrews 619, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So the second thing that I do is I begin to look up the scripture in other versions. So my Bible here is a New Living Translation. So when there are all kinds of translations, and so I want everybody to pull out your phone, I told you I'm going to be teacher bossy today. Pull out your phone, and there is a Holy Bible app. How many of you have the Holy Bible app? Okay, if you don't have it, you should get it right now. Just go in. It looks like a little Bible. It's brown. If you don't have it, you can download it. It's free. It's got all these different versions on them. So when I, I want you to type in Hebrews 6, 19 into the search bar. Okay, is everybody doing this? Yes, ma'am. I like that. Hebrews. You got it? Hebrews 6.19. Okay. Everybody got it? You got Hebrews 6.19? Yep. Okay. So you'll see at the top, there's different versions. So how many of you, it automatically goes to NIV in your phone when you're looking at Okay. So NIV, I have mine... Automatically, it comes up NLT, which is the New Living Translation, which is the translation that I like. And you can have whatever translation you like. But if you click on that little button up at the top and you open it up, it'll show you all these different translations. Um, I've got the Message Translation, the Good News Translation, the Amplified Bible. And so, what I like to do is, I like to look up this verse in all those different translations because each one of them interprets it a little bit differently. So the message translation is a paraphrase. It's going to use everyday language. The easy reader translation is for children. So sometimes I just get the easiest translation, no big words. And I pull that up. Or if I want to tell something to my kids, I'll pull up the easy reader translation, and I'll write that down. Um, my new favorite one is the TPT translation. Has anybody stumbled on that lately? Oh, it's so good. It's the passion translation. It's a new, um, it's a new version. It's very... Um, everyday language, but it's just very unique. It's one of my new favorite ones. So I pulled that out. The amplified version I call is like the girl version. Basically, they take what could be said in five words and they say it in 25. So I call it, it's like, it's like asking me a question versus my husband. So all of these different translations unlock another layer. You're going to get different words. You're going to get different keywords, which each one of those. So what I usually do is I look it up in all these different versions and then I write them down. I write one that makes something different come alive to me, and I put that in my journal, okay? Um, Another thing that I use, so the Bible app, so I don't know, Stephen, is this working? Because this is what I want to show you today. I don't know if this is going to work. Let me see. Okay, so this is one of my favorite websites. This is BibleHub.com. BibleHub.com. This is probably what I use the most for reading scripture. Another website that's really great is BibleGateway.com. Some of you might have used that in the past. And again, it's got, here's all these different translations of a verse. So what I usually do is I would go up here and I would click on Hebrews. Hebrews. Isn't this fun? Oh, you're very quiet. You're supposed to say yes. This is, oh no, I'm not connected to the internet. You wanna come fix it? I don't know, fix it, okay. Um. (laughs) So essentially, When I go to Bible Hub, I will type in that scripture, okay? So you kind of saw what it looked like. You type in Hebrews 6.19, and it's going to pull up. The first thing it's going to pull up is parallel translations. So you're going to, instead of having to click, like, on your phone, it's going to list all of those translations. So that's kind of an easier way for me to read through. But then the next thing that I do is I look up. There's a place on there that says interlinear, okay? The interlinear translation, oh, look at you. Give him a hand. The youth pastor for the win. Okay, so see when I go over here, Hebrews 6.19. Oops, nine. Sorry, wrong one. The internet here is a little slow, so I'm hoping this works. Okay, so here is Hebrews 6.19. Now look, here is all of these parallel translations. See, all of these all the way right here. And then here over on this side, this is cross-references. So over on that side, those are other scriptures in the Bible, that talk about the same thing. So you can look other places, and you can find this same concept and look at all the things, okay? So this is a really great place to start because sometimes as I read through, well, this has different words. NIV says, it's a hope is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. This one says strong, trustworthy. This one says sure and steadfast. So I'm starting to be able to build a little bit more of what I know about the scriptures. But this is what I really love. So I'll show you this one. Up here, I click on interlinear Bible. Okay. Oh, no. Open up. There we go. Okay. So here is what I really love to do. What this does, now this was originally written in Greek, okay, because that's the language of the day. And so this now takes that verse, and it has the Greek words here. Now, I don't speak Greek. Anybody here speak Greek? It's all Greek to me. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Ba-dum-ching. Okay. But what will happen here is you can click on one of these words, and it's going to open up those keywords. So in this verse, I kind of think about what are the keywords. The keywords in this verse to me were, well, hope was a keyword. An anchor was a keyword. Soul was kind of a keyword. Um, strong and trustworthy anchor so what I'm going to do is I start to click on these so the first thing I click on is soul because it says this is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul so when I click on that and then I go to the summary because this is still a whole lot of Greek but I want you to see what the word is when it comes up okay see what that word is okay in the Greek it says the breath the breath or the soul And here are some of the things that it says. It says it's the vital breath of life for the human soul, a human person, the seat of our affections. But look at what it says down here. It's from the breath to blow. But look at this word, psyche. Okay, does that unlock something for you? This hope is an anchor for our psyche, Okay. does that change that? That changes it a little for me because I start to think of psychological things. I think of mental health. I think of worry. I think of all of the things going on under the surface. I start thinking of all of the times when on the outside, I'm like going through my life. But the inside, it's like a duck paddling underwater, right? That's my psyche is like all of the stuff going on inside of me. So this this changes the way I view this verse. All of a sudden, this hope is an anchor for my psyche. I start thinking about all the places where I'm worried. I think about all the places where I'm struggling. That changes something for me, okay? So that's the first word. Now let's go back. Okay. This one's this next one is sure, okay? So this anchor is sure, strong, and trustworthy. So let me show you this word because this is really cool. Um. Come on, internet. Is this interesting to anyone but me? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the word for strong or sure here, what does this word look like to you? Asphalus? Whole youth group is already giggling because I said the first part too slow. (laughs) But it means secure, solid footing. Built on what does not totter, slip or fall, something steady, sure. What's the word you think of when you look at that and you think of steady, sure, solid ground? Asphalt. Yes, right? This hope is like asphalt. Steady under my feet. How many of you have walked out into your backyard in the last few weeks and immediately sunk down into the mud, right? Okay, so this is saying, hey, in the midst of all kinds of unsteadiness, unsolid ground, muddy, muck, and mire, there is a place of sure footing for my foot. There's a place of sure footing for my psyche. There's a place of sure footing for me. So that is an amazing thing that we learned just two clicks in, right, from this scripture. And I'm going to do one more. Okay, unshakable. Unshakable. I don't know why it keeps opening that way. Let's do one more and then I'll just move away from the computer. Okay, here's the original Greek and it tells you how to pronounce it, everything like that, but it's firm and secure. Okay, properly solid, sure enough to walk on, firm unshakable, absolutely dependable, right? What can be tread upon, fully dependable, worthy of confidence because it's solid footing. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of show you, this is what I started to do. I started, I looked up those three words, three words, it took me 10 minutes. And here's what I did then. Then I rewrote this verse using the things that I learned from those scriptures. And this is what I wrote. This hope is firm, unshakable, unshakable strong enough to walk on asphalt for my psyche. That's what I picked out of just digging a little bit deeper. Now, that meant something more to me because I was worried. I was in a season where I was dealing with something. I was worried. I was trying to figure out a solution. And yet, I learned in this, there was solid ground for my mind. There was solid ground for my hope. There was solid ground for my faith that there was something that I could put my hope in That would make me steady, even though everything around me felt very unsteady. So then I want to look one more piece of this verse and kind of explore that in the minutes we have left today. And that is this. Hebrews 6, 19 said, this hope is an anchor for our souls. This hope. So that little word, this, you could go right past it. But it's very important because the question is, what hope? What hope? Is it just any hope? Is it just like a positive attitude, like I'm really hopeful it's all going to work out? Or is it hope in my own abilities? Is it hope um, in the the idea that I've been doing a really good job at work, and I think my boss is starting to notice, and I'm really hopeful that they're going to see me and give me that promotion? Is it like wishful thinking hope? What is this hope? Because it's saying it's not just any hope. There's a very specific hope that anchors our soul. And to to figure out what that is means we have to look at the broader context of that verse. We can't just look at that one verse, but we want to look in the context. So what I want you to do is go back to Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to start at verse 13. We're going to read the scriptures surrounding that verse, because that is going to demonstrate to us what this particular hope is, because it's not just any hope. It's a very particular hope. And the heading in my Bible, when I look at starting at verse 13, says God's promises bring hope. So I'm going to read this scripture to you. Starting at verse 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on something greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary Jesus has already gone in there for us and he has become our eternal high priest in order in the order of Melchizedek. So what happens here is the author of Hebrews goes back and tells a story from the Old Testament. Because the audience for this Hebrews they were the church in Rome but they were Jewish people. So they had a context that the that that the stories of the Old Testament meant something to them. So he went back and he said, okay, I'm going to remind you of something. I'm going to remind you of the story of Abraham. And so he starts telling the story of Abraham. Now, verse 14, you'll see that it's a little indented in your Bible. That's because they're actually quoting a portion of Old Testament Scripture. And if you look um, in your Bible, there's going to be a little number next to it. Next to verse 14, if you look kind of in the margins, And that's the cross-reference. That's going to tell you exactly where that verse is found. And that one is found in Genesis, I think it's 14. I don't have that written down. But it's telling you, hey, they're talking about this now? Guess, that's all the way back over here. And that's where you can find that. So they start telling this Old Testament scripture God made a promise to Abraham, and he kept his promise. He told Abraham that he would have as many descendants as the stars were in the sky, and that he was going to give them a portion of land for his descendants to occupy. But you know what the truth is? Nothing in Abraham's life looked like this was going to happen. God said, You're going to have a ton of descendants, Abraham. But at this point, he was 75 years old when God gave him that promise. And his wife would have been 65. They had no children. And so at this point, it seems like there's nothing in my life that would make me think that we're going to have descendants as big as the stars. He also told him that he was going to inhabit this beautiful land with, that was rich and vital. But the land he was talking about was filled with people, big people, mean people. And he was saying, Abraham, I'm making you a promise. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars, and you're going to live in this land. Now, Abraham was looking at this going, There's nothing in here that makes me think that this is going to happen except for this. God has made me a promise. And so if God said that, I'm going to believe it. God made him a promise and he believed. Now, when I was looking through Hebrews 6, the word promise shows up a lot of times in this context. And so I circled it because it says that God made a promise to us. And then we see the word oath. God made a promise and an oath. Now, in the story of Abraham, we see that God made a promise to Abraham, but he also made him an oath. And it happened in two different locations. So all the way back in Genesis 12, this is the first time that God appears to Abraham and makes him a promise. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless your descendants. And so he believed them and he began in this process. But then we see later in Genesis chapter 15 that God made him an oath. Now, we don't know how long that is. We don't know exactly, but we know it's probably within 25 years from when the promise was made to when Abraham had Isaac. So 25 years is a long time. It's two chapters in Scripture, so you read that thinking, oh, well, that was fine, but how many of you, if you waited for 25 years for the answer for something, you would get a little cranky, right? I know I most certainly would, right? So this is a long time, and so somewhere in the middle of that 25 years, God had made a promise. Abraham was having a moment where he's like, is this even going to happen? Are you really going to keep your word? Are you going to show up? And that's the moment that God came and made an oath with him. And we see that he performed a ceremony, a ritual with him. The promise was like the engagement, right? I'm, gonna, I'm promising I'm going to marry you. And the oath that we see God took with him in Genesis 15, that was like the marriage ceremony. So God shows up to Abraham In Genesis 15, so this is after he's made the promise, and he makes an oath, a ceremony with him. So in Genesis 15, I want to read you a few scriptures, 6 through 21. This is the story of God taking an oath with Abraham. It says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess the land? He's thinking, how am I going to know? There's been a lot of time here. I'm starting to doubt. I'm starting to waver. I don't know if I can believe this. And so the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all of these to him, and then he killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to try and eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. So as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'You can be sure.'" that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. We're there to be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. I'm going to pause there. Remember our story of Joseph? He was telling him what was going to happen hundreds of years later with his descendants. You know how long the children of Israel were in Egypt? 400 years. I think that's super cool. Um, Okay, verse 14. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. He's telling them about the exile. That after this four generations, they're going to be delivered. And they're going to go into this promised land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell... Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied and it tells all the people that were living there. So what God asked him to do. This ceremony was something that they always did when they were making a covenant with each other. So let's say I decided that I was going to buy land from Stacy, And so what we would do is we would agree upon a price, and then we would cut a covenant. So this is what they would call a cut a covenant. So they would take animals, they would kill them, and they would cut them in half. Very gruesome. I'm glad we don't do that now. Show up at the bank, like, hold on, let me get my heifer. And... But this is how they made covenants. This is what made it binding. They would cut it in half and they would put the the two pieces on either side and both parties would walk through the two sides of the animals. And this is what they were saying. Let me become like these animals if I don't fulfill my part of the obligation. If I don't do what I have told you I'm going to do, Let me become like these animals that I'm looking at right now that we have just sacrificed. And so I would walk through, and then Stacy would walk through, and that would be our binding agreement that both of us were going to honor our word and do what we had said. So when God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, go get these animals, kill them and cut them in half, Abraham knew exactly what was happening. He'd probably done this ceremony with all kinds of people throughout the years, when he would sell land, buy land, marry off a daughter. This is what they did when they were making an agreement with each other. But what I love about this story, so Abraham did all the work, and then he fell asleep, and God let him see the vision of God alone walking through the covenant the fire pot. And we see scripture, we see in the Old Testament that God shows up as a pillar of fire. We see that a pillar of fire alone walked through those animals. And this is what God was saying, Abraham, this one's all up to me. This one, all on me. I have promised you something. You don't even have to walk through this one. I am making a covenant with you. I am binding myself to you. I don't have to bind myself to anybody, but here's what I'm saying. I promise you that what I'm telling you is going to happen. I promise you that I have got your back. I promise you that everything I have said I'm going to do for you and for your children and your descendants is going to happen. And you watch me walk through this, and I am making an oath to you that I'm going to be faithful and it's so powerful, that idea, because a lot of us are like, oh, God, I mean, I'm, what do I do? The idea that God comes in and says, you know what? Salvation, it's not on how good you are, not on anything that you've done. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. I'm, I am owning all of it. I am making a way. It's not dependent on anything you do. And I have got you. It is all on me. My covenant with you, you can trust me. You can trust me. I will never let you down. And so today, whatever you might be dealing with today, God's on it. He's made a promise to you, and you can have the confidence that He will not fail you. He will not let you down. He has bound Himself to you for your good, and you can take it to the bank. So now that all of this is in our heads, Let's read this passage in Hebrews again, okay? Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 says, For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath to his own name. So he walked through, right? Saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, at least 25 years, and then he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without question, that oath is binding. But God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he will never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. God has promised us things. Just like he promised Abraham. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your descendants, your children. He has a plan to provide for you. He has things in store for you. And not only has God promised that he will take care of us, he made an oath, binding himself to our highest good. It all depends on him. And he cannot and will not fail us. So this is our anchor This is what places us on asphalt, on solid ground. This is what keeps our psyches strong and steady, even when our circumstances are not. So after I dug all of these scriptures in, this is what I wrote in my journal. My hope isn't in the fact that the path is solid. The hope is that my God is solid. The hope isn't that nothing bad's ever gonna happen, that things aren't gonna be hard, that the ground is not gonna get mushy and wet. That's not my hope. It's not my hope that everything is just gonna always be peachy keen. My hope is no matter what happens, my God is rock solid, and he is never gonna let me down, no matter what happens. This hope, it's built on what will not totter, God's strength, God's character, God's resources, and his commitment to me. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So today, I hope that no matter what you're facing, that gets down deep into your heart, that you know no matter what you're going through, God will not fail you. He is committed to to your highest good. If you are in that in-between season where a promise has been made and you are still waiting, you can say, God, I trust you. Lord, I trust. I know that you will not lie to me. You will not fail me. You will not let me down. I hope that gets in deep today. But I also hope today that you will see the treasures that are in Scripture with just a little bit of digging. It's not... We live in this time where it's so easy. I brought, I brought this. This is my basic reference set from college. When I enrolled in Bible school, this is the first thing I had to buy. It was not cheap, which is why I still had it. Jeff had to dig it out of the attic. All of this doesn't even begin to be half of what I just showed you. I mean, when I used to study, it was like, there's 25 books on the table and all these different. It's at our fingertips. There is no excuse for us to not be the most biblically literate people of any time. We have access on your phone to a hundred versions and translations. This is on us to be diligent to learn to study the word of God. And so we are here. We come together. Jeff and I, we love to study. I recognize that I'm nerdier about this probably than any of you cared about. I love to do that. That's probably why this is my job. And we are always going to try and feed you great nuggets. But the idea is that you become self-feeders. It's not that we always are handing you everything. It's that you know where to mind the scriptures, where to find things, that you know how to do it, and that then you're teaching people in your world. This is what we have to become, and this is what we do as a church. And so I know that was really nuts and bolts practical today, but I hope it ignites something in you that there is treasure to be found with just taking a few more minutes and diving into the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word. Jesus, we looked at six verses today. We could have gone deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's one tiny segment of the whole, Lord, we could we could dig into it every day of our lives and not even begin to un- uncover a minuscule of who you are. But I thank you that there is treasure to be found in you. And Lord, that you open the mysteries of who you are to our hearts. God, I'm praying for a hunger for your word to grow in every one of us, that we don't just skim it, that we don't just p- punch the clock and get it done but God that we would love your word we would know that there is truth in it we would desire to feed on it so lord i'm praying that you would ignite that hunger in us and lord i just thank you for the truth that we looked at today lord i know that there are people here today that the ground feels really shaky under their feet that lord they're trying to walk but they feel like it's quicksand every time they take a step they feel like they're falling down again i thank you That the truth that you will not fail us is a sturdy ground beneath our feet. That the truth that you have got us and it's all dependent on you Lord, that that could quiet our psyches. It could quiet our emotions and our worries and our fears. And so, Lord, we put this into practice. When we feel that anxiety creeping in, when we feel worry creeping in, when we feel ourselves emotionally struggling, God, we're going to lean into the truth and we're going to declare, wait a minute, my God is faithful. He has promised that he will not fail me, and I know that he will not let me down. And so I can rest I can sit back and trust his timing. I don't have to have it all figured out, but I know that he has got me. And I pray that that truth this week would steady the ground beneath our feet, that we would know who you are and we would trust you with our whole lives. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody together said, amen.